any other man would have run off with any of those issues. So, well, you know, I've got to say, you didn't try to run him off for too long because y'all got married four months later. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. David, why don't you do the honors today? Of what? Announcing that this is episode 133. Welcome to episode 133 of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Good job, honey. Good job. Thank you. All right. Before I forget, the winner of this week's Sylvia Krakauer Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship is, drum roll please, (laughs) A. Duhan. And I apologize greatly if I mispronounced your name. Congratulations. We look forward to seeing you in the Academy. One of these days we'll be like, hey, here's the winner for the chicken dinner. (laughs) Winner, winner, chicken dinner. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. We'll have to look it up and let you know. It just because it rhymes. Okay. All right. So uh, as we're recording this, somebody has a birthday today. Go, Lori. It's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. That's right. But when y'all hear this, it's not my birthday. Nope, it is not. But I just wanted to say happy birthday, honey. Thank you, darling. And thank you for letting me eat pizza tonight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> letting you eat pizza. <laughs> well, thank you for you eating pizza tonight. For me going to get it. Yeah, I wasn't going to get it for my birthday. Oh, you made that clear. I did. Because <laughs> that's one thing. I don't know if most women deal with this, but I get tired of being responsible for deciding what is for dinner, or if you decide it's pickup, having to go get it. Why do I always have to do it? The reason why you have to choose what's for dinner is because Jackson is the pickiest eater. You're right behind him. And then I really don't care. And so asking me typically means I'm going to say whatever my suggestion is, which would be followed by, well, that's not what Jackson wants. (laughs) So don't start with me. But how come when we eat decide what we're getting, I always have to go get it. Um, I don't know that you always have to, but. It's not always. Okay. I know that's not the word I'm supposed to use, but 92.4% of the time I have to go get it. I would say of the 92.4% of the time that at least half those time I go with you. A third. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that leaves two thirds of the 94% of the time when you're actually going by yourself. So what's that number? Hang on one second. (laughs) 61% of the time, I have to go get it by myself. All right. And of the 61% of the time that you have to get it by yourself, 80% of the time it's because you don't want to cook. Well, yeah. (laughs) But how many times do I say, David, what's for dinner? I don't know that you ever say that. Exactly. Don't yeah. put that pressure on me. Because I get you know, tired of it. You know, if you ask, I'll whoop up something. Yeah. Cereal. That's not true. Grits, eggs, and bacon. That's oh, right. man, that's what we should have had tonight since Kay started eating grits. <laughs> that's right. I am awesome about throwing breakfast on the table for dinner. 
That's the best. <laughs> it is the best. It shouldn't even be called breakfast. I know. It's not. But yep. Yeah. Yep, I will do that. That's for sure. Or pancakes for dinner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's almost like it's. It's almost like it's taboo. Like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this for dinner. It's a sin, folks. It's a sin. <laughs> uh, so what you got for us today? Today, we have stepmom Liz Colvard. All right. So what's Liz's story? She's a widow. Okay. She does things for an organization called A Widow's Might to help widows. And she has a podcast. Six oh, cool. Kids and a Widow. <laughs> That's the name of the podcast? hmm <laughs> That's pretty interesting. So are these her six kids? Yes. She's been blending two and a half years, has two stepkids, and six bio kids. Okay. So she's a she's remarried. hmm All right. Now, this is probably something you get into in the interview. Probably not, because you come up and ask me these questions, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but... We often hear how sometimes when one of the parents have passed, that that parental role is still not there. It's not not available. And the kids still function in some ways as if that parent's still there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you get into it. Maybe you don't. <laughs> well, that's something we see sometimes where uh, you'll have, for example, you, know, you may have a young uh, stepdaughter. And let's say the mom or dad has passed away and, um, you know, that, that role of being the mom or, or dad is not open just because the parents passed away. And oftentimes the kid will still react as if that parent is still in the picture in some ways. I mean, it's not like they're kidding themselves that they're there, but they still have that same, you're not my dad type of right. thing. It doesn't make you their parent because their other parent is absent. In whichever way they're absent, whether it's by choice, by they're in jail, or by death. That's right. Exactly. That's a much better way to say it than I was saying it. Of course it is, because it's my birthday. (laughs) Her and her husband are both widows. Oh, wow. So he would be a widower? Whatever they call it. (laughs) The hardest part of her blending is realizing she couldn't parent the stepkids the way she parented the bio kids. Ooh, yes. Amen, sister. Amen. But here's the the thing about that, though, is we know this. Many people that are listening know this. But also many people that are listening did not think that that was how it's supposed to happen. You go into it thinking, I'm going to parent these kids like I parent my own, and things will just work out the same way. I'm going to love them just like my own and parent them just like my own, and they're going to be my own. (laughs) There's a small percentage of people that works for, but most of the time, no. Yes, most of the time, no. We do have to add a disclaimer in here. This podcast, we do talk about addiction. Addiction to anything specific? Okay, good deal. Not good deal, but good deal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, had to throw that in there. Don't want this to be a trigger. Right. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, that's why I asked, because we've talked about all kinds of different addictions beyond drugs on this podcast. Yes, and outside of this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yep, I'm addicted to you, darling. All right, David, that's great. <laughs> you a hard habit to break. All right. <laughs> 
Anybody name that tune? No. I'm just thinking of the game that we were playing a minute ago. What was it called? Quicks? I, I couldn't tell you. I was just playing the game. I have no idea what the name of it was. Jackson's girlfriend gave me this game for my birthday, and I think it's called Quicks. And it's some kind of dice game. It was really fun. And then we realized close to the end that we weren't following the rules. We were following her rules, <laughs> her house rules. So we may read the rules next time, or we may just go with the way that we've been playing it. Yeah. Ain't that funny how people do that? So anyway, Jackson sang a song to Kennedy or some lyrics. and it's, it's, He rick-rolled her. I, what, I don't know what that means, and I don't understand it. Okay, we'll Google it. I'm afraid. <laughs> Anybody else not know what that means? All right, well, David, you talk about your step family analogy while I Google this and see if it's appropriate for me to say on this podcast. So it it's when we're playing a game at home, sometimes we decide that, you know what, the rules just aren't working for us, and so we want to change the rules so that the game is faster to play or it's easier to play depending on who's playing the game or whatever the case might be. But, but we call that like house rules or family rules, right? Like when you play Monopoly at our house, we play like this. When you play Monopoly at somebody else's house, they might play like this. It's interesting that when you're in a blended family, it's often the same way. You take those rules and you change some of the rules that make it easier for everybody in the house to play the game. Not to say that being in a blended family is a game, <laughs> but there's an analogy to be drawn here where it's okay to figure out what works for your family at that moment and go with it. That is true. And it's okay if we play Monopoly different than y'all do. Show is. What you do at your house is y'all business. Show enough. What we do at our house is not show business. Show enough. Preach, sister, preach. <laughs> All right, so I looked up this Rick rolling thing, right? All right. And it says, what does Rick rolled mean on TikTok? Rick rolling is the process of trolling someone on the internet by sending them the link to the music video to Rick Astley's 1987 song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Okay, still don't get it. But someone asked, is Rick Rowling illegal? <laughs> Having racked up over 71 million YouTube views, the video that was used on unsuspecting victims as a bait-and-switch meme known as Rick Rowling has been banned in several countries, including the USA. No kidding. What does this crap even mean? I don't understand it. It, it just throws an old 80s video up is all it is. And I mean, you've got, look, if you're Rick Astley, you've got to be loving this, which by the way, he still tours, but you got to love it. Like you can't go away. Your song is forever ingrained into the memory of generations. So now his song is going to be, instead of never going to give you up, it's never going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't know why they picked that song, but I just think it's hilarious. So if somebody was doing that to a Dolly Parton song, it'd be... Parton rolling. No, yeah. dolly, dolly rolling. Dolly rolling. <laughs> I guess. But um, anyway, I remember when that song first came out. Like you, you saw, like you heard the music on the radio, right? I don't know if you remember this. 
heard the music on the radio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then, um, we didn't have, of course, there was MTV was starting to come out, but you had to have, you know, some way to get to MTV. We were, we still had three channels. <laughs> we didn't have MTV because you had to have cable or satellite or whatever. But you had this vision of who this person looked like. And then when you finally saw like the album cover of this redheaded, skinny white dude, <laughs> you're like, wow, his voice does not match what he looks like. No, it does have a picture of him. I'm still so confused. What's the point of it? I don't know that there is a point because it's funny. Okay. All right. It's enough of that. <laughs> if anybody knows the point of it, let us know. I know I'll ask Jackson and he'll be like, it's just a thing, mom. It's just a thing. I think you should send it out in your next newsletter and like, and like Rick roll everybody in the newsletter. <laughs> well, then when you scroll down, it says, how much is Rick Roll worth? <laughs> and then it says Rick Ashley's net worth is $16 million. So is his name now Rick Roll? No. Oh, Lord. I'm so <laughs> confused. It says something about it was the most watched video on YouTube at one point, and everyone and their grandma was hiding links in emails or chat conversations to Rick Roll their unsuspecting colleagues. Okay. Uh, I don't know. So, somebody started it somewhere, and it caught on. Kind of like Nacho. Kind of like Nacho. That's right. I get you, Rick Ashley, or whoever you are that started this. All right, David. <laughs> All right, ready to jump into this interview? Yeah, let's okay. jump on in. Hopefully we'll learn more than just about Rick Ashley. Still don't get it, folks. <laughs> First, here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle step-family challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit NachoKidsAcademy.com and sign up today to join other step-parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's NachoKidsAcademy.com. Today, we have stepmom Liz. Hey, Liz, how are you? I am great, thanks. Liz, tell us a little bit about your blend. You have kind of a unique history. Yes, I was widowed in 2012, and my husband, Mark, passed away from complications of pneumonia while we were on a family trip to Branson, Missouri. So it was definitely a vacation we will never forget. He had been struggling with some health issues related to addiction that I had only recently discovered the hard way. And our kids were between four and 18, and there were six of them. So by God's grace and mercy, I picked up our tribe and kept going. And I told my kids two things. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy Christian families, and we're not going to let him. Mm -hmm. And their dad was now in heaven, fully healed. And that journey with addiction is a story for another day. His addiction was discovered in probably January of 2011, and I'm still uncovering layers of that pain and hurt and the destruction from that. So it's that's been a long journey in itself. But in spite of me, my tribe survived and even thrived during those years of solo parenting. There isn't a lot of, well, really helpful information out there for widowed solo parenting because it's unique in itself with its own conflicts. Most people think of widows as being their grandmother, 
but I believe the average age of widows is like 57. And if you have a large family like we did, you would definitely have a few kids still in the home. Right. I was 48 and had six kids at home. And the fall after my husband died, I sent one to kindergarten and one to college. (laughs) So it was definitely a lot of, it was a lot going on. Wow. Well, first of all, and I know you're not through with your story, but six kids, holy moly. Well, I, (laughs) I wanted four and then got pregnant with the fifth one and cried all the way through. And my husband used to laugh and say, you're going to have to be able to tell people that you're pregnant without crying. (laughs) And I don't even know why I cried because I guess in my mind, I had said, I'm done, but it had only been like a year and a half. So it wasn't like everybody was grown. Right. And then with the sixth one, I laughed the entire way through the pregnancy because I was 44 when I got pregnant. Wow. And unbeknownst to me, um, 40s are the second most unexpected pregnancy time after teenage years. So yay, me, you know. I did not know that. <laughs> I love the the little sticker they stick on your file, uh, advanced maternal age, you know, and <laughs> that's always fun. They, uh, my dad was trying to console me with the sixth one. And, and, and there, let me say this, there's a level of guilt when you feel sad that you're pregnant because you know, there are women out there begging God for babies yes, and God has not given them one. And so you feel like all I have to do is walk in the room and I'm pregnant mm-hmm. and I have guilt over being pregnant again, because I didn't want to be. And then, so you're balancing this, how do I be happy? And you have to set your mind to it. It's a beautiful thing. And I cannot even imagine my life without those younger two. They have been so incredible to raise and to love. And so it's been kind of funny, but you know, the last one was, I was 44 and my dad had called me to tell me, you know, we were older when we had you and you were such a blessing. I'm like, dad, that was two kids ago at your older age. You know, mm-hmm. you were 30 something and I'm 44. Dad. <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. So, you know, I was the only mom at the kindergarten meetings with reading glasses on my head and, <laughs> and all these other moms had, you know, they, they were born the year I graduated from high school and yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah. I actually have a friend that she had a child in her 40s. And of course, it was one of those surprise. And, but like she said, it was a blessing and she could not imagine her life without him. Oh, definitely. I had a lady stop me in the store one time and said, Oh, was he a mistake? And I said, No, the first five were. I mean, <laughs> how rude is that? Yeah, that's pretty rude. And I have been asked so many times if I'm his grandmother. And ever since he was a tiny baby, I went through the uh, line at, I don't know, A&W. I think it was an A&W. We were waiting in line and I had him in a baby carrier. Okay. He is tiny. Mm-hmm. And we're waiting in line and the little 
you know, 16 year old behind the register says, and with your discount, it's blah, blah, blah. And I said, what discount is that? And she said, it's the old person discount. (laughs) And I looked at the man, I looked at the senior discount, I think is what she said. And I looked at the man behind me and I said, I'm just going to count that as a crazy mom discount and I'm going to move on. And I could not believe she, I said, why did you give that to me? She said, I'm supposed to give it to anyone who looks old. And I'm like, (laughs) I didn't feel that old, but, oh, I've had so many times that they've said that to me. So I'm like, my hair, I even color my hair. I take care of myself. Don't look like a grandma, but you know, people get married at 20 and have kids and then grandkids at 40. And so I'm one of the few that was still having my own kids at 40. So, yeah, I know I was 31 when I had Jackson and that was kind of late compared to most of my friends. So I've got friends that were becoming grandmothers about the same time I was having Jackson or a few years later. Yeah. And the old person discount. I love that. I saw a sign the other day Uh that said, if you're 85 or older, you get a 1% (laughs) reduction off the sales tax. I'm like, really? That's all you're giving these people is 1% sales tax reduction. (laughs) If they're 85, you think about all they've lived through, give them more of a discount than that. For yeah. I mean, especially if they're still able to come in your store, give them a lollipop. Exactly. I mean, come on. <laughs> a free Slurpee. Yeah, a free Slurpee. Perfect. So yep. I don't want to get too much into about your husband's addiction, but I do want to address that people think, how could you not know? that he was an addict. That is the million dollar question right there. He was a master at hiding it. I grew up in a family who never drank or smoked. Uh, My personality is one that thinks the best of people for the most part. Mm -hmm. So when I started seeing signs of what other people might have seen as addiction, I was thinking it was a medical problem. So I was dismissing it in my head as a medical problem. So that's how I compartmentalized it in my mind when I found out, uh, when I noticed things. Honestly, I believe my son, who was about 16 or 17 when we found all this out, I think he recognized it before I did because Mm -hmm. they spend a lot of time in health class at high school talking about these kind of things and the signs. And I was ignoring them because I honestly had married the most godly man. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was an elder. He was a deacon. He was an elder. He had the right resume, Mm -hmm. but Satan loves to take our greatest strengths and make them our greatest weakness. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he did. And we thought we could beat it, but addiction needs to be exposed to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't willing to expose it for quite some months and months. So it was difficult to balance that. And our marriage was struggling. Um, The kids were wondering what's wrong with dad. He lost his job. 
he went from a marathon runner, ultra marathon runner to somebody who shuffled around like an 80 year old. Oh gosh. And it was very difficult to watch and know that it was self-inflicted mm-hmm. and for the most part, I understand there's, you know, people listening that say, but they can't help it. It's addiction. Well, there was a point that it could have been helped years before right? that wasn't addressed. So I've been through counseling. I've been through Celebrate Recovery. I've been through several things to help me deal with it. But every, I would say every few months or years, there's another layer to it that comes forth mm-hmm. for me to deal with. And uh, that's been a very painful growth. And God has helped me so much through speakers and through books I've read and through scripture, just reminding me that that he has been with me the whole way, the whole way through. Mm-hmm. We went to counseling with all, well, the five big kids after my husband died. And I had them explain to my kids what their dad died from, because most of the kids didn't really understand what was going on. And that was really helpful. And it was a point to show them that there is addiction on both sides of the family and that all my kids need to be really aware that this is what's in your genes that this tendency could be in there for whatever it is, you know, it could be gaming, it could be gambling, it could be shopping, it could be alcohol, could be drugs, whatever could be sex. Mm -hmm. If you have that tendency, you need to be self-aware enough to know that you have to put your own boundaries in and have accountability partners and tried to teach that to my kids. You know, I don't know how much, I would say most of the people in the world have to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah. And you hate to watch that. You think I would like to learn just by reading about somebody else's story, but most of the time we, we have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Cause you kick into, Oh, that wouldn't happen to me. I'm stronger than that. Or I'm smarter than that. That's a big thing. I'm smarter than that. Yes. And addiction is a demon. Oh, it definitely is. And Uh, It was there to destroy us and destroy my husband. And about the last three months of his life, he finally uh, sought help and he was doing really well mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and, but physically the damage was already been done. So when he got sick and in Branson, um, he passed away there at the hospital in spite of me. Um, the kids were doing okay. Every milestone, though, in a kid's life, their pain is, I would say, revisited with a new maturity. Mm-hmm. And so every graduation, award ceremony, baptism, driving test, college entrance, you name it, each one digs that pain up again. And so we've had to deal with those levels of maturity and what they understand about death and and what they understand about their life. And, but by God's grace, I mean, I've taken three of the younger ones. I've taken three of the younger ones on a speaking trip to Hungary three times. Oh, wow. And the last time, the last time we got back just days before the whole world shut down due to COVID. So it has been a very exciting journey 
it's hard, but I wouldn't have changed those. I think it was about six years that I was the solo parent for my kids Mm -hmm. for anything. It really drew us together in a way that when there's a spouse in the picture is it's a different relationship with your kids when there is no spouse. Right. Yeah. Cause you're all about them. Yeah. Yeah. I tried the online dating thing and <laughs> the only match I got was a worship leader in Sweden. So <laughs> didn't really want to pursue that. Um, I literally bought a necklace from James Avery that I had engraved on the back that said God alone, because I felt like my focus needed to be just on God. And I was okay with that. I may be single and raising all these kids. It's okay. But then one day I got a message from a longtime widow friend who said, God told her that she was to introduce me to someone and she wasn't really sure why. Well, red flags always weigh when someone says, God told me to tell you, you know, right. (laughs) But I assumed it was probably in regards to the widow's ministry that I help with online. And this guy was a helper, hands-on helper kind of, of the widows in his community So I didn't allow myself to look at anything beyond his picture on Facebook because I wouldn't allow my heart to go anywhere because it had been broken and I didn't want to get my hopes up. So March 12th, we communicated on Facebook to meet on March 13th and we got married July 20th. What? (laughs) Yes. And I know you have, you've commented about people Uh, getting married really quickly. It just seemed from the moment we met that our, we were in these parallel universes that intersected one day and God said, go for it. There's no other explanation. Uh, He orchestrated the whole thing. And I'm pretty sure it was either you or Ron Deal that was talking about how these compatibility tests for couples should really include something to be done for blending a family. Mm-hmm. We scored really high on the test. Like the pastor said, I'd never seen so much compatibility. Big deal, right? Yeah. We're not the biggest issue in blending a family. Nope. It's the, it's the family part. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the difficult part. And there's no test for that. No. And I feel like God kind of gave us that one area that might be a little easier for us because he knew that the blend was going to be so challenging. That's the only thing I can, <laughs> that's the only thing I got for that part of the whole, the blending compatibility. So. Okay. So y'all got married after, a- four, after four months. We did. And we still have, it's been two and a half years. We still haven't sold his place. And I was joking that we should get a TLC special called Yours, Mine, and Ours Property Edition. Oh, yeah. Because we have, <laughs> we have his house, we have my house, and we just bought some property, 30 acres. And uh, I'm like, okay. that It was like it just, everything God keeps doing is just dropping things in our laps that we pray for, and we just have to sit back and not try to control it. Like you said, we just have to wait for God's timing. And that's not easy. I'm a, I'm mm-hmm. kind of a control freak. My kids will tell you. Mm-hmm. And I tried to chase my husband off at first. I told him, look, I've been a solo parent for at least six years without my husband in the house, but longer if you count the time that I was trying to keep everything going. Mm-hmm. 
toward the end of his life, I am kind of controlling and, (laughs) and I have six kids. So if you're not going to run away with all that information, then you've got to be God's anointed for this marriage because any other man would have run off with any of those issues. So, well, you know, I've got to say, you didn't try to run him off for too long because y'all got married four months later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I had prayed and told my friends, if I was going to get remarried, I wanted to be something that I was going to be really comfortable in because starting over after a 20 year marriage is really hard. Who wants to go through all that early stuff again, right? I wanted to feel comfortable, like I was slipping on a pair of comfortable slippers. Mm -hmm. And it was crazy how comfortable we were with each other. We have 50 years of marriage between us. We kind of know what works and doesn't work. We know what we've done wrong. We know what we've done right. We know what we need to do better. But we felt really comfortable with each other. Uh, my friends didn't think it was going to happen, that that would never happen. You'd never get married to somebody that you would feel that comfortable with. But when God's in it, he's just going to put the right person in. And some things are going to be easy and some things are not. So you said he'd been married 30 years. How long had it been that his wife had passed away before y'all met? About 15 months. Oh, wow. His wife had been sick for six years, six or eight years. And uh, she had kidney failure and they Mm. weren't, it was like a, they couldn't diagnose why. So she, he'd been her caregiver uh, for six to eight years before that. If you have any experience with like grief share, they tell you in there, some people begin the grieving process before the loved one dies. Yeah. Because they know that this doesn't have a short of a miracle. This doesn't have a an ending of where everybody lives happily ever after. And once you come, you realize that the death is a very real possibility. You have to change your way of thinking. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the loss is less difficult. It just means you began processing it earlier. Right. So, yeah. So you're going through the grief process or the steps of grief differently than someone that their significant other just dies in a car wreck. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he had been married about 30 years mm-hmm. and they had two children uh, biological that were grown with kids of their own. And then they had done foster care for 50 or 60 kids. And that my friend is a calling. Yeah. I, I never got involved in foster care just because I wasn't sure I could let them go <laughs> you yeah. know, after two weeks or two months or two years. But he and his wife did foster care. And uh, it was probably in 2006, I think, one of the grandmothers of the foster kids that they had had previously said, my daughter's pregnant again, would you adopt this child? And they said, yes. And then three months later, another child became available and they adopted that one as well. So they have what they call twins by adoption. They're three months apart, not related, but they were raised pretty much as twins. Wow. But the biological parents, moms, had dealt with alcoholism, marijuana, meth. And let me just say that 
uh, when you tell yourself that you can love problems away, you can't. No. And when you've marinated in alcohol for nine months, there's brain damage that may never be reversed. It may be lessened. They may learn to live with things and work with things, but there is a lot of damage that goes on when these babies are in utero. Mm -hmm. We have a whole alphabet soup of labels on these kids that is from the birth mom, the bio mom. Wow. And it's, it's, it's tragic because often puberty makes it worse. Yes. So puberty makes everything worse. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Mm -hmm. Well, so about the blending, I had been homeschooling my kids from about 2003 off and on. I had all my kids and then some of the kids. And recently I was homeschooling the younger two and homeschooling as a solo parent is totally possible, but I didn't think I could do it. So it took me a while. I dragged my feet, but when I ended up doing it, I loved it. And Mm -hmm. uh, I naturally assumed I could add the two bonus kids into the mix of homeschooling because I was so good at it. Right. And Mm -hmm. how hard could it be? Well, I thought it'd be really great for them to have a time to just slow down and process things. And homeschooling would give them that opportunity. And they had they had some educational gaps, I would say, due to the, the long-term illness of their mom and the loss of their mom. So we thought it'd be a great thing that I would homeschool them and Let's just say it didn't go as planned. Uh Uh-oh. Well, it isn't. I went into it thinking incorrectly, like you did. Why can't I just be their mother? And why won't they listen to me? Mm -hmm. And I was their full-time person at home because dad worked. He works for a hospice company. And I thought they would happily (laughs) accept me as mom. And one of the children, I think, accepted me more maybe than the other one, but they both have issues with the, how far they'll go with the acceptance of me as their mom. So I thought they would, they would be excited about this opportunity of homeschooling. Cause for me, I, I believe in the benefits and, but they had always been in public school and did not see any benefit in it. They had only seen the the weird kids and they don't go anywhere and they're stuck at home all day. And that's what their thinking was. Mm-hmm. Well, we jumped in and it didn't quite work like I had hoped and it just made us all frustrated. And I think that, you know, looking back, we should have tried to keep them, you know, I don't know. I go back and forth. It helped us spend more time together to get to know each other, Mm -hmm. but it also allowed us to spend more time together. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like that, that, that idea is a good thing and a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe what they needed right then wasn't more time with me. Maybe what they needed was to be in a classroom setting that allowed them the most familiarity. Right. Not changing too much too soon. 
Yeah, they would have had to change schools anyway because our houses are complete uh, diagonal from each other in town, 45 minutes apart. And we just thought, you know, this was the best thing and they'd be happy about it. But blending doesn't always go as expected. How's that for a surprise? <laughs> a maximum of lies. <laughs> a maximum of life. So I think, especially with one of the kids, we have a lot of behavior issues due to the birth mom and uh, the he's got all kinds of labels. Mm-hmm. And we've had him in a special school twice. When he's good, he's very, very good. And when he is bad, he is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And Having for my kids to see that when they've never experienced anybody doing anything going off the rails like that has been hard. So we're in the middle of homeschooling and then COVID hits, right? Mm -hmm. And all those grand plans I had of leaving the house and doing all these fun activities, you know, everybody began homeschooling because the world shut down. We tried again to homeschool the next year because I kept trying to. I wanted this situation to work because I saw the benefits in it, but one of the kids was not on board. So probably about six months ago, I started listening to your podcast and I thought, I think that's my answer. (laughs) Nacho. Because you will, how do I say this? I don't know that it's really possible to love someone else's children as your own. You love them. You love them differently. Right. But to love them as your own will probably never happen. And that's okay. Yes. It is so okay. And I had to come to that point where I had to accept that it's okay that I'm having these feelings because that's normal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have really tried to step back when dad's home. I don't really do any parenting of his kids. I just say, hey, so-and-so hasn't put up their laundry yet, and he'll go take care of it. Or so-and-so hasn't done their chore yet. So-and-so hasn't done their homework yet or whatever. And I let him do the parenting when he's home. And I try to do as little as possible when he isn't. And that is so hard for me. Oh, yeah, because you're a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) I am. am. And I get it. I do. It's, you know, it's so hard to let go of that control. But then once you realize you didn't have control over it in the first place, you're like, ah. Yeah, that is for sure. I was telling my kids just the other day. With my older kids, we didn't do Halloween. And I went so far as to do this. You'll love this. When my second child's birthday is in October, it's kind of close to Halloween. For his birthday party, we had a costume party when he was probably three. Mm -hmm. And I took candy to four neighbors And said, my kid and his friends are coming. Can you just give them this candy when they come? How Mm -hmm. controlling is that? (laughs) You're out of control, lady. You're out of control. (laughs) I 
And I think that's why God gave me number three, number four, number five, number six, because God was like, um, honey, step back. Yeah. You, you don't really have control. Yeah. God's going to show you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would just remembered that the other day I was talking to my youngest now is 13 and, and he said, wow, mom, you really are controlling. <laughs> I'm like out of the mouth of babes. Yes. Well, let me ask you this. When you tell your husband, so-and-so hasn't done their laundry or whatever it is, does he get upset? Because, you know, a lot of times we see when a stepmom says, little Johnny hasn't put his clothes up, the husband gets defensive because he feels like you're always picking on his kid and blah, blah, blah. No, he has never responded that way. I think one of the differences between us also is that he was a solo parent, basically. The whole time his wife was ill yeah. and raising the kids after her death. So he he has done all the parenting things on his own. And I've done all the parenting things on my own. And we look at each other now more as helping the other one with parenting instead of stepping into that parent role with them. Right. Did I say that right? Yes, you it's did. It's more of I'm your helper. I'm going to help you parent, but I am not a co-parent. Right. I will help you and be supportive of you, but I'm not taking over. No, because I tried the takeover thing. (laughs) It didn't work. (laughs) Trust me. I've tried it. With the one child that's a, a bit of a challenge, we have gone on a pendulum swing where he at the beginning of our marriage, he responded to me way better than he did dad. So mm-hmm. I basically stepped into the main parent role with him because it just was more peaceful that way. Mm-hmm. And then now it's swung the other way where it's dad again, and he responds better to dad than me. So it's a moving target. Yes, It's not a, let's just do it this way. And for the end of time, we are constantly evaluating and saying, look, this is not working. We've got to come up with a different plan. Right. And and that's the thing that people need to realize, especially with the nacho kids method. A year in, you may say, I don't need to nacho this anymore because I've learned to deal with the triggers and things like that. But then all of a sudden there's a new issue that you have to nacho. And things yes. change constantly and they can even change daily. And a lot of that is based off of the how receptive the stepkids are. You know, they can come yes. back from bio mom, which in your case doesn't happen, but in families that the bio mom's present, they can come back from bio moms and they just had a crappy day. Maybe bio mom said something smart before they went to school or they had a bad day at school and you've re-engaged and then all of a sudden you're like, What? They don't love me today? They are kids. <laughs> They are allowed to have feelings and to change their moods just like we do. Yeah. It's, uh, I think, one of the areas where you think that I've been a parent for 27 years. Surely I got this down, right? Mm -hmm. But no, it's different. You know, for me, a big deal is eating. And I don't. My kids were always, here's the control again. We had (laughs) snack time in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. partly 
because we had a big family and I didn't want them eating all day long or we wouldn't have food the next day because they'd eat up all the snacks. Right. But also because I wanted my kids to eat at each meal. So I controlled, let's say, about snack time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't eat after 5 p.m. because that's too close to dinner. So my kids are used to this because this is all they've ever known. Well, I would say most dads probably don't uh, monitor the food situation quite as much as moms, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? <laughs> it's fair to say. And, Anything's fair to say, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's very new to his kids in our home. They like to eat snack-wise more than mine were ever allowed to. Mm-hmm. And you read these things on like your forum or something about how how you lose it over the kid wanting a snack or you lose it over the kid eating in a different room. Mm-hmm. But your kids have done that. And so right. why is that such a trigger when the bonus kids do something similar to what your biological kids do. Yes. You know, and so you have to step back and ask yourself, why is that triggering me so much? And I would say nine times out of 10, it's control. It's I want to control it and they're not playing by my rules. (laughs) Exactly. And it's so funny though, because I mean, I see it. It still happens to this day. If one of the stepkids is here and they leave a drink on the counter, if it can be sitting right beside my son's drink, and it's like one of them is, we just want to say devil angel, you know, oh, there's my sweet baby boy's drink that he left on the counter versus that lazy stepkid couldn't even put his drink in the trash. It, that is so true. And that, and, you look- and, and I love my stepkids. I do. Yes. But no, <laughs> something is different. And you've been doing this for years. What did you say? You've been married 10 years? 12. 12. Mm-hmm. And it still rears its ugly head, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, I sit there and think, okay, trying to understand it. Why? Why does this bother me? Exactly. And you know, we can go through the whole, oh, it's the past. Well, I don't think it's the past. I think it's the present. <laughs> it's just, it still means the same thing. It comes across as, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be responsible. I can leave my drink on the counter. Lori will clean it up. Mm-hmm. And my kid may be thinking the same thing. Oh, mom will get that. But as a parent, I do take care of him. It's that whole looking through the lens of love versus responsibility. Yeah. And I don't think it changes. I don't think it stops. Now, granted, I would love to look at both of those and go, oh, my gosh, come on, y'all. Put your drinks up. (laughs) But it just, I internalize it differently. Yeah. I think another issue we've had in blending is that with six kids in my home, all my kids were used to being treated, I'll say differently based on age. Mm -hmm. So they never expected to have the same freedoms or 
gadgets that the older kids had because they knew they were too young. That's just how it was. Right. But my bonus kids were raised as twins and everything has always been the same for them. And that's been really difficult because they're now thrown into a family where things are not fair, Mm -hmm. I'll say, because you don't want them fair. Which person are you going to choose to be the fair one, the youngest one and treat everybody like the youngest or you treat everybody like the oldest? How do you determine that? So that's been a big point of adjustment, I would say, for my husband and his kids is having those differences based on ability, based on character, based on obedience, based Mm -hmm. on how they handle things. Yeah, that's been a hard one. It comes up quite often. We still in the home currently, we have a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an 18-year-old. And the 18-year-old is a senior. She goes to public school, but she's only there part of the time because she takes concurrent classes and she works and she's she does a lot of stuff and she's very responsible. Mm-hmm. And so yes, she gets her own computer. She bought it herself. She has her phone charging in her room because she can be trusted. She's paid her dues. Right. The time that she used up the entire family's data in one week and the rest of us were left with nothing. <gasps> we Yes, we, <laughs> we, we know she has paid her dues. So she has learned some hard lessons. So I trust her. She hasn't done anything to make us not trust her. She sets her own boundaries on her phone. She has sleep time on there. I know she's not on her phone in the middle of the night. So those are things that she has earned. Mm -hmm. Now, the younger three, they have not earned that same position and their phones are charged in the kitchen at night. And that is often a source of contention for one of the bonus kids because it's not fair. And I, that word comes up a lot, but I don't think you want things to be fair. I think you want them to be just. And we talk about the difference, but we're dealing with some autism spectrum with him. And so it's, it's hard for him to understand in black and white fairness, fairness and justice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see it all the time. We hear it all the time, even with our kids and our family, oh, that's not fair. Even the triplets had to be treated differently because they're different people. Yeah. Like you said, you can trust one of them to put his phone down at night. And the other one, you knew he'd be playing on it all night long. So the whole fair thing of how do I tell my kids when they say it's not fair that the stick kids get to do this and they don't, it's simple to me. I'm your parent. You do as I tell you. Yeah. It's no different than little Susie next door. If her parents let her ride around at midnight and drink and smoke dope, I'm not going to let you do that just because little Susie's parents let her. Right. Under the same roof, it's a little harder than the neighbor kid situation. And that's hard for the kids to understand. Right. But it still doesn't change the fact that those Kids have different parents that make the rules. Absolutely. Yeah. The one kid does not understand why 
his dad is not the authority, the final authority over my biological kids Mm -hmm. and why I'm not the final authority over my bonus kids. It's really difficult for him to understand that family dynamic. And I keep saying when he says, well, can I do this or that? I said, well, let's ask dad when he gets home. Oh, and that does not go over well because he wants me to decide right now because I decided right now for anything that the youngest kid asked for. Well, I'm his final authority. If that's the way God designed family is that I'm his mom and your dad is the one that's your final authority. Mm-hmm. And we will just talk to him about it. Right. That's really, it's really a difficult concept for kids when they are very black and white and they've only seen family one way. Right. And it is hard for the kids. And, you know, I'm not dismissing that in any way, but at the same time, they have to understand life isn't fair. <laughs> That's what I say all the time. You know, is it fair that my neighbor drives a brand new Mercedes and I'm driving a 10 year old minivan? No, that's I don't not fair. Know. Who cares? That's yeah. not fair. Yeah. But it's not the point. The point isn't whether it's fair. Yeah. Could I afford the Mercedes? No. So then that's not what I drive. We have to do what's right for us. Right. What's best for our bank account, what's best for our family. And mm-hmm. our, our struggle right now, currently with a 13 and two 15 year olds, is how much of it is normal 15 year old. 13-year-old behavior and how much of it is coming from blending. You know, that's, you know, and the sibling stuff between them when they're bickering back and forth. You know, once I had my three biological kids at home, there wasn't much bickering between them because it was two girls and a boy and they just, they all had, you know, they kind of spread out and they did their own thing and they got along really well. Mm -hmm. The bickering kind of stopped when the three older ones were gone yes. because one of those was an instigator. I won't go into which one, <laughs> but the three younger ones got along pretty well. And so mm-hmm. now we throw in two more. So we had five at home when we got married. I think they were like 17, 15, 11 were mine and his were 12 and 13, I guess when we got married. So we had a house full of teenage charm. And my 15-year-old was a 15-year-old girl who was being, as my family likes to call it, being quite booty right then. And she has come so far now. She has matured so wonderfully. And we keep saying that gives us hope for the next 15-year-old girl that we have that sometimes can be a booty, just like the 15-year-old boy and the 13-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. So. And honestly, I can be one too. So there you go. Yeah. Well, how did your kids take it when you started dating this man? I mean, I know they didn't have long to adjust to him before. Oh, we're getting married. (laughs) Well, I think once their dad died, several of the kids wanted a new dad. What are we going to do? We need a new dad. And I said, well, I can't really go to Walmart and get one. So we'll just have to trust God to be the fatherless like he promises. So I would say we were pretty content with the way things were going Mm -hmm. and we were doing pretty well as far as the kids were concerned. 
So I think that was one reason why it was so difficult for the three younger ones when I did get married was because they didn't see a reason. Right. They didn't need a dad. Clearly, we did fine without one. So mm-hmm. they weren't looking for a dad. And mom, you, you're not lonely. You do lots of stuff with friends. So you're fine. So I think for them, they didn't see the purpose of my getting married. And it was a bit of a challenge, especially with, I would say, my younger two to, to accept that this is how things were going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Dr. Laura or something years ago used to always say, wait till all the kids are out of the home before you get married. There's much value in that because it's hard. Yes. But at the same time, I had a friend that she actually raised her daughter, didn't date for years, and she passed away the year after me and David got married from cancer. And one of the things that she told me when I was debating on the dating thing when I had Jackson was, do not do like I did. Don't wait to find love because your son needs to see you in a good relationship so he'll know what one is. That's exactly what I was telling myself. It's not that I am trying to force a father figure into your life. It's that I want my children to see an example of marriage that is Christ-centered and a man who desperately loves his wife and will do anything for her, treats her like a princess. My kids hadn't seen that. They don't remember me even being married, the younger ones. Mm -hmm. And so for them to see this picture of marriage as a beautiful thing, that really struck me as more of the purpose rather than them having a father. Mm -hmm. Because I've told my husband many times, my kids need more than anything to see that you love me more than they need a dad. The dad part, I think, will come along. The father figure will come along as we go through our relationship. But they need to see that you love me and that that has been clearly displayed to them. And I think that's been the biggest benefit for my kids. Right. And we can be all about our kids, but that's not healthy for us and it's not healthy for them. Oh, I see it all the time, especially with maybe widows who that's all they have left of their husband is the children. And their children become elevated to number one in their life, where when God designed the family, it was husband and wife at the top, not wife and kids. Mm -hmm. And so it's a difficult way to raise your kids, you have to work really hard to keep the kids in the right position. So they're not elevated thinking that they are more important to this relationship than they should be. Right. I think that the tendency is that like in a widow situation, she becomes confiding in those older children when she needs to be confiding in God. And I think when my oldest one, he was 18 when his dad died, and he looked at me and said, I will not go to college if you want me to stay here and help you. And I said, no way. I mean, he was full ride, national merit scholar. 
you are going to college and you are going to enter into everything you can. And we're going to be okay mm-hmm. because God is walking by my side and he is the father to the fatherless and he will get us through. I do not want you coming back home and trying to help me because you need to be the 18 year old, 19 year old that you are. You are not my spouse. You are not my parent helper. You need to follow the path that God has laid out for you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for the kids to understand they each have their own path and it's not to be elevated to the position of like the spouse was. That was a difficult thing to keep the kids in that position because once you get married, there's a power struggle between the new spouse and the kids of who is in that position with mom. Mm -hmm. So we've had to work on that. We've had to adjust things. I've had to almost like choose him above my kids sometimes. And that's hard. Because my kids, I've known for so long, you know, we have this long time relationship and my husband's new in this family. And what is the biblical framework for a family? Well, it's husband and wife and then the kids. So that's a, that's a hard one. It is hard because you feel like, like you said, you have to choose sometimes. Yeah. And a lot of people will say, I had a lady that said, oh, your marriage should be first. And a lot of times people mistaken that for at all cost, your marriage is first. No. If David told me I had to choose between him and my kid, I've said this before, bye-bye, David. (laughs) Because I'm responsible for my son. He's not old enough to take care of himself. He still needs me to be his mother. So if it comes down to that, no. My marriage wouldn't be first. My son would. But I think it's all in how you interpret it. For instance, when people say your marriage is first, yes, it's important that David and I have date nights. And if Jackson said, I don't want y'all going out tonight without me. Well, you know, he's going to be okay. He'll be all right. Yeah, David and I need that time. And then Jackson and I need that time, too. So Jackson and I can go get ice cream or go eat lunch one day. It's important to nourish both relationships. And I don't even like saying the first, second, and third, because they're all different and they're all important. Right. It's like the umbrella is mom and dad, Mm -hmm. but the kids are all under that umbrella, but we're not... We call it the umbrella of authority, and we have to stay under that umbrella of authority, whether it's me or Mickey doing the authority at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to adjust where there's always like this jockeying for position in in a blended family. And it's funny because like the two bio kids can go off together and pester each other and yell at each other, poke each other, push each other's buttons. And they can walk away and everything's fine Mm -hmm. because they have that foundation that they don't have with bonus kids or the step kids. Right. They have when the step kid and one of the bio kids gets into an argument, 
you don't know where it's going to end because they don't have that foundation. And we've seen some real growth in our family. It was rough there for a while at the beginning. We took a vacation that first Christmas and we went to San Antonio. We got a an Airbnb and there were 10 of us. Oh gosh, sleeping in this little house. And there was a rooster that woke us up every morning in the backyard of a neighbor. It was a teeny tiny house. We had to walk through one of the areas to get to the shower. It was hilarious. <laughs> Creaking floors. It was very funny. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a gift that my husband gave me for that trip was I want all the dire kids to ride in the van together. And you and I and the Calvert kids ride together in another vehicle. And I want your kids to have that bond that they've always had and be able to be as loud or as funny or talk about us, whatever, and enjoy that time together because we don't know the next time that all six of them can be together. Mm -hmm. And they, what a gift because when you're trying to force a family blend, if we would have rented a van and all 10 of us in it, it would not have gone nearly as well. Oh, no. So the fact that we separated for the drive down, we hung out together, and then we drove back separated was, it's okay. Your family mm-hmm. vacations aren't going to look like everybody else's. Right. Your family dinner, your family dinner is not going to look like everybody else's. And the fact that you said or somebody on the on the forum was saying, is it okay that I don't even want to eat together with everybody? Mm-hmm. It's just going to look different and you have to be okay with that. Right. I've never let my other kids pick something else for dinner. You know, are we going back to that control word again? Uh-huh, when, I we made are. Dinner, <laughs> when I made dinner, that's what we ate. We took a no thank you helping and we moved on. Mm-hmm. His kids were used to, yeah, I don't really like that. I'm going to go have some whatever's left in the fridge, some cold pizza or peanut butter sandwich. I'm like, uh-uh, you're eating what I made. I slaved hours to make this food. Well, really, what's the end game? Do you want right. them to eat? And I have never asked myself that question until I was blending a family. Yeah. Because it was, I wanted to do it my way, and that's the right way, and we're all going to do it that way. So I've lightened up a little bit on that. And I've also, if one of the kids asks, one of his kids ask if there's something else he can, they can have for dinner, I'll say, ask your dad and -hmm. just remove myself and be okay with it, whatever they eat, because you know what? The end game is they eat something Mm -hmm. Yes, and you have to be okay with that. Right. Broccoli is not the hill to die on. Exactly. (laughs) It was before I blended, but now I've decided it's not. And that's okay if it's your kids. Exactly. I can tell them, you go ahead and take a spoonful of that. Mm -hmm. And they do it because that's what they're used to doing. Not all the kids are used to eating the same way. So a lot of things in the blend are battles that are not worth fighting. Yeah. And I know David wanted us to have dinner together because it's so important to have family dinners. Well, not if everybody's sitting there with this smirk on their face or this look of disdain on their face because they hate everybody. Yeah. How's that healthy? It's not. 
Yeah. And how how's that healthy for me to sit there and listen to stepkids slurp spaghetti when I'm about to go insane? It's not. <laughs> it's it's okay. Like you said earlier, we have to make adjustments for what works for us. Yeah. And I think it's really hard when you've done it a certain way for 20 years and it's worked pretty well for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now you're shifting to this other path. And some of those tried and true ways that worked so well are not going to work this way this time. Mm-hmm. And you have to be humble enough to say that worked then, that doesn't work now. And I have to let it go. You know, the way the kids dress is another thing. I mean, my girls, I would go run to Target or JCPenney. I'd buy a few things, bring them home. They're happy with whatever. They were not picky all the way through until they had their own money and bought their own stuff. They didn't really care. His daughter is very different. It's a challenge to go shopping with her. And we have to set some ground rules before I go with her before I will go with her because it's, it's a challenge because she's a very different personality than my girls are. Mm-hmm. And so I have to adjust that. And so just because I can't go to the store and grab her something, bring it home, doesn't mean she's a bad person. It just means she's different. She's got her own personality and I need to adjust to that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard. You've done it a certain way for so long. And now suddenly you have new ways to do it. And you have to be humble enough to accept that this may be, it's okay for this season and let it go. Yes. And that's been really hard for me. I am 99% of homeschool moms are controlling. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at what we do. Right. Let's be honest. And I like things a certain way, but I'm not a detail person. How do you can how do you do that? You know, <laughs> how do, how, does, how does that personality mesh? I'm a flute player. I've been a flute player for many, many years. And my mom used to laugh when I was a kid. She's like, How is it that you can practice those songs and learn them for contests and get good scores, but you're not a detail person? <laughs> I'm like, I think it's because I do enough to do what needs to be done. And that's as far as I take it. And that's why I was halfway through a music major when my flute teacher looked at me and said, is there anything else you'd rather do? <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't offended. I said, yeah, I think I wanted to be an elementary teacher. So that's the direction we went there. It's a controlling thing for me that I have to be constantly talking to God about and refining what that looks like in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, have you thought about, or has it been brought up you adopting your stepkids? We have talked about what that would look like. And the biggest reason I think you would do that was for death of one of the parents, mm-hmm. because then you'd want them to come But what if they didn't want to come stay with me after their dad died? Right. Where would they go? Do you have any idea? We have an aunt. um, One of their aunts uh, watches them kind of like a, what do they call that when they have foster kids? Respite. She's Mm -hmm. been really good about helping us out with 
a, one of the difficult kids. I so don't is know their biological aunt? Well, their adopted aunt. Okay, okay. So it's your husband's <laughs> sister. Sister, yes. Okay, okay. We've got so many different levels here <laughs> of what is it adopted, bio, foster, you know, step. Yeah. I don't know. Let me say this. In a past podcast you had, someone said if their father left, would there be any connection between the mom and the stepkids? And there is nothing legally, mm-hmm. but I think that that's a discussion we need to have because I think they would choose to stay here, but I don't know that. We've had this discussion with my kids over the years because if I had passed away while I was a solo parent, we had talked about how my oldest son would get the uh, decision-making power over where the other kids went with Mm -hmm. discussion with them. So my youngest already knows where he would go if I was gone. And we've talked about that since marriage too. And he he said, would I still be allowed to go live with them? And I said, absolutely. Wherever you go, that will be the best thing for you. That's where we want you to go. Right. Because you know, things get crazy when people die. I can see oh, honey. S- somebody <laughs> saying, oh, no, you know, I'll take the kids. They don't want to go with you anyway, stepmom. But what they're really looking at is the Social Security check they'll be getting. Yeah. And honestly, my husband and I are older than most people would be when they have 13 and 15 year olds in the home. Mm-hmm. So most of our relatives, uh, we're both babies of the family. So all of our siblings are older than we are. So I don't know that they would want to take in a bunch of young kids. So that's a very good question. It's something we have talked about, but we've never settled on anything because it's a hard decision. Adoption doesn't mean you take the other person's name. It just means that legally, if anything happens, either one of our parents who's left would be able to make decisions with you. Right. And I think that that's the hard part is making, helping them understand it doesn't mean that you're taking that name because most kids think when they get adopted, they take the name of the other person. Right. So I think one of the hard parts about blending is being okay with changing the way you've always done things. And that's where I have to come to. I have to land at the end of the day. (laughs) And that's perfect. You're right. I agree with that a hundred percent. And you have to be willing to also look at yourself because you can be part of the issue. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And that is so painful to admit, but it's true. And it is the way I do things, the way I do things may be causing part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And I have to be okay with, Letting that go. And wow. I know. Yep. <laughs> but look mm-hmm. how much blending has made us grow. Boy, isn't that the truth? Yes, it is. Well, Liz, I really could talk to you forever. I know I say that to everybody, <laughs> but I really could. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got your own podcast. Yes. I started a podcast in probably 2015, I guess, called Six Kids and a Widow. And I went through a couple years of 
talking about how widowhood and parenting and how they all work together. And then as I transitioned into a blending family, my season two is more about blending with a widowed family mm-hmm. and all that that entails. And I interview friends of mine that have been widowed and have gotten married and blending and and it's I still call it six kids and a widow, but this is season two where it's life in the blender. Now, does your husband is he ever a guest on your podcast? He has not been a guest on my podcast yet. <laughs> we've <laughs> talked about it, but we've never done it yet. Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, we can do that one day, and then never brings it back up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with a ministry that does uh, lots of work with widows online. And that's kind of where my heart is for widows. And God has given us so many opportunities to minister across the world through devotionals and through conferences. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, you know, people have asked me many times, do you still work with the widows, even though you're married? And I'm like, yes, I think you always have that widowed heart mm-hmm. because you are always going to be empathetic to the loss in widowhood. And I never want to lose that. And I think that keeps me grounded in that empathetic state of, I understand I can take myself back to day one of widowhood. um, As soon as I hear someone's story and I never want to lose that. It's kind of like us in the blended family crap. (laughs) It's just, you hear it and your heart reaches out to these people. Right. I was disappointed a little bit when I, I did the, uh, Ron Deal's uh, online study back in the spring on mm-hmm. Thursday nights or whatever. And I love that idea, but we couldn't find anybody there with the 150 couples or whatever it was that was like us. And it's hard to find a situation like ours. And we would love to talk to people like that, but it's hard to find. I follow Jesse Roney on social media and her situation of the blending their two widowed families. And now they have their own and, and it's been fun to watch and she's got a special needs kid. Our special needs are not quite as severe, of course, but it's exciting to see how God uses our story to bring blessing into someone else's life. Yes. Now, what is the blog that you were referring to? It's a group called a widows might I G H T. And that's where we write devotionals and we have conferences and we are working on doing podcasts in the future. And so is it just awidowsmite.com or? Awidowsmite.org. Okay. And I'll put the link in our show notes and I'll also put a link to your podcast. Awesome. And I can also post in our Facebook group, anybody that's, a widow and wants to be a guest on your podcast to reach out to you. Absolutely. That'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you so very much for being a guest on our podcast. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Lori. And I wish you the absolute best. And I'm so glad that you are using your life experiences to help others. Yes. The beauty from ashes is definitely something that has been exciting to see. And it doesn't always go the way you think it should. And Mm -hmm. God has a plan and he is working our lives out to bring him glory. And that's the main thing. Yep, exactly. 
Well, thank you again and stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, David. This Rick Roll thing, I can't let it go. Oh, my gosh. What is something from our time that would have been similar? That kind of is our time. No. The Rick Rolling. I know Mm -hmm. the music is from our time, but what would the action of Rick Rolling? Um, When you see the kids where they walk up and they have their hand like in an OK symbol upside down and they make you look at it. Yeah, and then you hit them. Well, sometimes, but really the whole purpose is just to make them look at it. Yeah, but when they look. Not always do you hit them. That's probably a different version of the game. It's like punch buggy going But it's kind of, well, it's, you know, ha ha, made you look kind of thing. Okay. All right. Maybe maybe it's a safer way, because in our day, you just gave somebody a wedgie. Now they just send you a Rick Ashley video. (laughs) You give somebody a wedgie today, you're going to jail for improper touching or something. (laughs) <laughs> like, can't give me no wedge, you ain't got no draws on. So when I send out my Nacho newsletter this Friday, if I put a link Then you're in breaking there, the federal and, and international law, you'll go to jail. That'd no. be interesting. You should so, do it. I'm confused. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So if I say, check out our new podcast, and I put a link, but not to our podcast, and I do it to this Rick Astley song, mm-hmm. that would be Rick Rolling? I believe so. As I understand it. But it's illegal, right? Apparently, it's what you said. <laughs> I don't understand how it can be, but all right. It came from gigwise.com. It's got to be real. Uh, okay. I don't know what that is. So I'm going to say um, you have to prove it to me more than just that. Okay. You know what's scary? What's scary is this is Rick Rolling illegal. It's from 2014. <laughs> We're seven years behind, y'all. No, yeah, oh yeah, that's been around a long time. But it's Rick, still going. Rick rolling? Oh yeah. Yeah, it's okay. been around a long, long time. But you don't All pay right. attention to anything. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. Well, for seven plus years I've been consumed with the nacho kids. <laughs> that's all I know. That's I breathe and sleep nacho kids. Well, I was just noticing that Rick Rolling is actually in the dictionary at dictionary.com. What? Yeah, there's a lot more there you can read, so I'll leave it to you to read that. Yeah, and he doesn't mean you as in me. (laughs) Okay, in April of 2022, David and I will be going to Fort Worth, Texas. Yeehaw, brother. And I'm going to take my boots, boy. Get me a 10-gallon hat. We are going to be speaking at a couple's event with Laura Petherbridge, the smart stepmom. That's right. I will release more details on our next episode or the episode after that. (laughs) (laughs) I even talked about possibly doing a blended family comedy show. But we have not cleared that through Laura. (laughs) Well, we sure didn't. So, Laura, if you're listening. (laughs) She don't listen to this. (laughs) She's too busy. (laughs) She don't want want to hear your crap, David. (laughs) You lucky she's letting you come with me. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, that's all right. See? Wherever I am, there'll be a comedy show. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? All right. So one more week till Christmas, folks. Oof. For those that celebrate Christmas, I don't want to leave those out that don't. But happy yep. holidays, happy December, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> 
Yep. This is the last Burr month. Mm-hmm. It is the last Burr month. <laughs> and then we will be ringing in the new year. Yep. Please, Lord Jesus, let it be a better year. It's been a rough yeah. year for a lot of people. But 2022, it'd be the year for you. You copied that from me. <laughs> and everybody knows it because I said it on the last podcast. <laughs> Did you? Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. I think it should be the year that you start focusing on yourself. Yes, and join the Nacho Kids Academy and take the self-care challenge. Yep. Or is it self-love challenge? Whatever it's called. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Invest time in yourself. Invest into your own mental health, your emotional well-being, your relationship, your relationship with yourself even. Yeah. Self and be free. The relationship with your bio kids if you have them. Quit focusing on them stepkids and what they're doing wrong. Focus on what your kids are doing right. Or wrong. <laughs> and we know your kids ain't doing no wrong, people. We know Dave is just trying to be nice. No, that's what blended families always say. If he would start focusing on what his kids are doing wrong, instead of what mine's doing wrong. Blah, 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 blah. Fill, yeah, fill in the blank. <laughs> All right, David, let's wrap this up because we got a lot to do. We got to get ready for Christmas. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. And remember to join us next time. And as always, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.